Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. We're starting a new series today. It's going to run for four weeks, and we're titling it Red Flags. Um, And... We're titling in that because we're going to address a few things that Paul listed in his letter to his disciple, Timothy. And that passage is not the only passage that lists things that we want to watch out for. But it's one of the passages that has a, a good list of things that are important for us to watch out for. And so we know what a red flag is, right? A red flag is a sign that something is not right. For example, and I'm going to ask you to participate with me. If you meet someone on a date and all of their exes are their best friends, what do you say? Red flag. Exactly. If someone always refers to themselves in the third person, red flag. Exactly. If they respond to any invitation with, is is it okay if I bring my cat? Red red flag. That's right. That's right. Red flag. (laughs) If the Prince of Nigeria sends you an email, (laughs) red flag. (laughs) When the doctor says to you, hey, you're going to feel some pressure. (laughs) What do you say? That's a red flag. Exactly. When someone invites you to go to brunch on Sunday instead of church, yeah. <laughs> when you go to the beach and the ocean is raging, I mean, they can't all be metaphors, you know. They can't all be metaphors. That's a red flag as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the actual red flag. There are five verses in this scripture that we're going to look in a bit that talks about unhealthy habits, unhealthy behaviors, that if you notice them, basically what Paul is saying, hey, these are red flags, you got to be able to identify them. you got to be able to look at them and see them and be able to distinctively uh, understand that these are negative qualities, that you shouldn't nurture them in your life, and you got to watch out for them. And in the course of life, what's going to happen is that we're going to pursue goals, we're going to pursue dreams, we're going to, pers- we're going to pursue relationships, and we will have opportunities, each and every one of us, to give in to some of these red flags. You know, some of them might appear in the form of jealousy, strife, vengeance, selfishness, other things like it. Now, what is difficult about some of these negative qualities is not what they are by themselves. Because most times we can recognize when we see a negative quality. We can all know that jealousy and envy are negative things. We all know that we don't want to live life in strife, fighting. We don't want want to practice slander. We know when things are bad, when they're by themselves. What's difficult for us is when we're in a situation where those qualities seem like justice. They seem like the right response. They seem like the right thing to do in that moment because of the context. And we all have faced uh, situations that that bring that kind of tension. 
where you're not sure if that's the appropriate response, you're not sure if that emotion is righteous, if it's right. And here is what we will discover when we face those moments. If we realize that it's wrong, it's easier for us to repent of something like jealousy than it is for us to forgive jealousy. It's easier for us to repent from something like selfishness than to forgive selfishness. Because as hard as it might be for us to admit and realize the error of our ways, it's even harder for us to understand somebody else's intention. Because we can look at our actions and we can understand them by our intention. But it's difficult for us to look at somebody else and what they're doing and see them by their intention. We all see the action by itself. And that brings a challenge. Because what do you do when people are acting in ways that bring up that red flag? How can you keep yourself from these negative qualities? And how can you create healthy boundaries between yourself and other people in your circle who are practicing some of these things? How can you do that and still follow the commandment to love one another? How can you build a healthy distance from people who are unhealthy without prejudice, without condemning them? If we're honest, most times when we face situations like this, we overdo it, right? Either one way or the other. Because Christians tend to say to themselves things like, I'm, I'm, I know that they did that, but I'm not going to look at the bad. I'm not going to look at the bad. I'm going to look at the good and overlook the bad. In fact, the Bible says that, you know, I should love. And, and so I'm going to choose love because if I have to choose to look at the bad or love, I'm going to choose love and, and I'm going to just look away. I'm not going to consider the bad. Well, good intention, but bad theology. It's a good intention to face a situation like that and think, man, I'm just not going to pay attention to that. But it's bad judgment because Scripture says, Proverbs 13, 12, 20 from the NIV, it says this, Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. What is it saying? Whoever you walk with will influence you. The people you hang out with are going to influence you. If you choose to become a companion of fools, you will suffer harm. But then there's another way that we tend to react sometimes. And when I say we, I don't mean necessarily you, but people in the, in the Christian sphere. There's a significant percentage of the population that misunderstands Christianity. Because Christians have overreacted to unhealthy qualities. And that might, be, that might be some of you here. That might be some people that you know. They are not okay with church. They are not okay with Christianity. Because the sound bites that they have heard and they have experienced from Christians are Christians that look at someone who has acted negatively. They only look at that exposure. And, and those Christians have acted really badly against those people. And those are the people who will go on the other side. Right? They, we overdo it on the other side where we say, well, I'm not going I'm, I'm to ignore what they have done wrong. In fact, that's all I'm going to look at and that's all I'm going to judge them by. I'm going to treat them like enemies because 
what they've done is terrible. And I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to be vocal. I'm going to build a wall of separation. And I'm going to condemn them. Again, good intentions. Good intention, in a way, but bad theology. Wrong angle. Because the scripture always say, also says, Galatians chapter 5, 14 and 15, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So we live in this tension of, hey, you have to watch out for the company that you keep around. You have to watch out for those people who are influencing you. You have to watch out for certain behaviors. But at the same time, we ought to love everyone as we love ourselves. Even love our enemies, as Jesus said. So that's the challenge for us. How can we receive the rebuke from the scriptures, the correction from the scriptures, the warning against malice and malevolence in people. With due seriousness, with due maturity, while loving like Jesus. All the while, without compromising God's instruction in the scripture. That's the challenge and that's the question that we hope to answer. So let's go to the text today. And this text... The reason why I'm giving you this context ahead of time on top of it is because this text brings a lot of negative characteristics. So I want you to participate, okay? I want you to respond. If you have experienced this personally, uh, and, and with not like online, you've seen somebody with a, but somebody in your circle, at work, family, don't elbow them if they're here. But if you have seen these qualities, as I read them, I want you to say yes. All right? Some of you might say yes to all of them. I am, you know, you have, you have gone through some stuff if you, if you say yes to all of them. But, but some of you, you might say yes to two, three, or four of them. Um, but let's just go through it and, and let me know if you have experienced this or witnessed this or seen this uh, in your circles. All right? Second Timothy... Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be, here's the list, lovers of, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. All the dads and moms just said yes right there. <laughs> Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Nothing makes them happy. Slanderous, talking back, bad about everybody. Without self-control. Brutal, not loving good. Treacherous. That's like when you deceive and, 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 and just, yeah, you, have pl you make plans to deceive people. Reckless. And this is not the reckless love of God, okay? It's just, it's reckless. <laughs> Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. A couple yeses there. And then a simple 
but strong advice, counsel, direction. Avoid the such people. Another translation says, avoid these people. Wow. It's quite a list, isn't it? And then the scripture says, avoid these people. How do we do that? How do we do that? Now, it's safe to say that collectively, you've heard, in a small group like this, compared to our population in our country, we have a sample of each one of these elements that we have experienced. We have witnessed all of these things here in our present day. And how do we properly address them? To do that, the first question we should ask, and by the way, this is how you should approach every scripture. The question should be, am I one of these people? Because it's easy to look out and judge people by their actions because we judge ourselves by our intention, right? But we have to take a step back every time we read a scripture and ask, am I one of these people? And if not, what would it take for me to be one of these people. So you must understand that the point of this passage and other passages like it is not to separate people into classes. It's not to try to say, hey, you're better than them or judge them or condemn them. This is not about that. This is about taking control of what is influencing you. Taking control of what's going into your ears into your eyes, into your heart. We're social beings. And we become like the people we commune with. We become like the people we interact with. So we must be aware of what is influencing us. And if there's someone in your inner circle who constantly displays some of these qualities, who don't seem to be improving... Who you maybe you approach and say, hey, don't do that. Hey, that's not good. But they, they persist. And not only that, they're influencing others to gossip, to slander, to do whatever. They're influencing others to be like them. You are instructed by the scripture to build a healthy distance. To say, hey, those are red flags you got to watch out for. Build a healthy distance. Why? Because you're better than them? No, so that you don't become like them. The real thing behind the scripture here is that you're more like them than you think. So stay in, stand on guard. So today I want to focus on four red flags. We're going to go through each one of those in groups uh, this whole month. But I want to focus on four, the four first ones in this text, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're calling these the red flags of self-involvement, if you're taking notes. The red flags of self-involvement. Chapter, uh, verse 2 on chapter 3 says this, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. We're going to talk about those four today. Let's start with lovers of self. I think that there is a healthy way to love yourself, to love your life, and there is an unhealthy way to love yourself. And the enemy likes to poison the medicine and turn on the blender. And make them all look the same. See, the number one strategy of the enemy is not for you to love evil. 
The number one strategy of the enemy is not to convince you that that obvious sin is good. He's not going to do that. The number one strategy of the enemy is to convince you in, in an unconspicuous way that you need to love yourself better than God loves you. That the way God loves you is not good enough. That there's a way for you to love yourself that is better than God's way. We can go to the beginning and look at what, what God told Adam and Eve and that story, that beautiful picture in Genesis. When God told Adam and Eve not to eat the tree of, good, of the knowledge of good and evil, He did so for their own benefit. Let's go to the scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 say, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, eat of it, you will surely die. So you have to understand that the picture that the scripture is painting here is one of nourishment. The fruit of a tree brings us nourishment. And what God is saying, in fact, is that you are going to care for yourself in this garden that I've built. And I've given you the opportunity to nourish every part of you. Take from every tree except one. Because that tree will nourish a part of you that you should not nourish. That tree will feed a part of you that should not be fed. There's a part of you that if you nourish that part, you will die. And what was the enemy's response? What did the enemy say? Verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And, and he ate. Self-love. Oh, it's going to do so good for me. This is what I need, no, no, no matter what God said. Self-love is the number one strategy of the enemy. And here's what happens. Lovers of self will always put themselves before God. It doesn't mean that you don't believe in God. It doesn't mean that you're not in His garden. It means that their beliefs are not for God's greatness. Their beliefs are for their own greatness. Lovers of self are, do not have a desire to advance what God wants. Their desire is to advance what they want. Lovers of self use God for their own benefit. Instead of thy will be done, O Lord, their prayers never include God's will. Never ask for God's will to be done. Instead, their prayers are only petitions for what they want. God is an accessory for what they want. See, lovers of self act like the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ was to them instead of for them. And there's a big difference there. See, we can understand through the means of thinking that everything is about us. That Jesus died to us. Meaning, 
He, he did everything so that we could get all that we want, all that I want. It's all about me. Yeah. So my wants, my desires, they're fulfilled in Jesus. But somebody who understands that Jesus died for them understands that, that he did, we, I didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. That person didn't deserve it. That person understands that, that they're not deserving. That Jesus died for them because Jesus is holy. Because God is holy. And because God has a plan for them that's better than their own. This is why Jesus told us and gave us a recipe on how to love ourselves properly. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus saying? There's a point where you come to realize that there's a part of you that needs to die. Yourself needs to be crucified with Christ because the true self that God has for you is in Him. There's a better version of you in God. There's a better version of you that exists when you submit to God's will and you let go of your own. Self-love is recognizing that our true self exists in God and that you can't get to it except through the cross. Next one is lovers of money. Now this is another red flag that is important. And what I might say here today may upset your way of thinking. But I want you to accept the challenge. Okay? We have been, we have been calcified to think about money in a specific way in our society. And it doesn't really work if we embrace the world's philosophy on finances. Here's what we learn. Here's what I, I have, I'm convinced from the scriptures. Is that people who do not have a healthy relationship with money cannot have a healthy relationship with God. And I know that this might sound odd. But I believe this. People who do not have a healthy relationship with money cannot have a healthy relationship with God. Period. Because you can't be greedy and be Christ-like. You can't love money and love God. You don't have to listen to me. You can listen to Jesus' words. This is what he said. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 13 says this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Listen to this next part. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your own property? No one can serve two masters. Either he it will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, some people have taken money out of their faith. Like they exist in two separate universes. But the truth, friends, is that we have one soul. We have one heart. 
We have one place of longing. And those two realities, Jesus says, are going to be fighting against each other. Now you might say, you know, JD, God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at my wallet. And that might be true, except usually when you say that, it means that your heart is in your wallet. <laughs> now think about this. Why did Jesus say, what did he mean by, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What are these true riches that Jesus is talking about? He's, putting, he's making a contrast between worldly wealth, it's money, and true riches. I think what Jesus is saying is this. God is watching how you handle worldly wealth. God is watching how you handle what is precious in the world. Because if you can't even take care of that, how can God trust you with what, you, with what is precious in heaven? You want ministry. You want influence. You want spiritual gifts. You want spiritual wealth. But if you can't even be trusted with your bank account, if you can't even be tr trusted to honor God with your wealth, how can, how can we expect the real blessings? Now understand this is strong teaching. And understand that it may confront. And if you're new to church, this might put you off, man. And you might be thinking, now here he comes with the ask. <laughs> Tithes and offerings are coming. <laughs> Listen, this is not about, this is not about that. At some point, we have to mature in this area. Even if you're new to faith, even if you're new to church. This is not about whether you tithe or you give your money in the church. The kingdom will stand. The church will stand. Now, if not through you, through the person sitting next to you, just send them a thank you note. <laughs> the kingdom of God will stand. This is not... It's, this is, it's, it's, it's bigger than that. See, what we have to understand is that the way you spend your money, the way we spend our money, reflects our devotion to God. 100% of our money, not just 10% of it. 100% of it, not just what you give in the offering or what you give to other people. The question is this. Why would you use any of your money, any of your wealth, for something destructive? Why would you take any of what you're earning at work with your blood tears and go spend it on something that will damage your body or damage your relationship with your loved ones or bring you into a bad habit or a, 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 a practice that is not honorable? Why? And so the challenge that Jesus is posing here is not like whether you're putting money in the offering at church, because they used to do that back then as well. He said, hey, why are you holding so tight to worldly wealth when I am actually trying to give you something greater? And that's the question that we never ask, is it? isn't it? So many times we are encouraged to hold tight to what is earthly to this thing that we came up with that we invented everybody you know some people said hey this paper really is worth something and everybody's just playing along with it <laughs> the question is why is the enemy trying to get you to love money and make it the most important thing in your life 
That's the question. It's a misdirection. The enemy is trying to keep us, keep us all busy running after earthly things, running after worldly things, and to be unaffected by what is eternal and what is truly meaningful. The enemy is trying to keep us from the true riches. And Jesus is guiding us to walk away from that, to look at that and say, hey, that's a red flag. You're being surrounded by a culture that tells you that you got to love money, that you got to put that as first in your life. That's a red flag. Don't practice that. Now, I'm not one of those people who minimizes the importance of money because I see through the scriptures that it is important. That's why Jesus puts importance in it. I remember when our twin daughters were born and they had to stay 28 days in the NICU up in Danbury and Alini had to quit her job, and I had to reduce what I was doing because all of our focus was on planting the church, and all of a sudden now all of our focus is on keeping these babies alive. And I remember that season was so tough because we were just making ends meet, trying to pay rent, and we had all these added expenses related to their birth and having to go to Danbury every day because they had to stay there and we had Maya, who was three years old, and she couldn't go in, and so we had to. It was, it was difficult financially, and so we understand the difference that money can make. As a church leader, I don't only lead people, but we lead this organization. And I know the pain of not being able to afford things that could get us ahead. Now, God has been faithful, and I can't complain because God has been faithful to this church. But it hasn't been without challenges, so I, I see that. In fact, Ecclesiastes says this. this is a scripture. Ecclesiastes 10, 19 says, Bread is laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. It's right there. It's important. It can open doors. In other words, what scripture is saying is that money can answer problems. But it's not the solution for your life. It's not where you hinge your life on. It can pay rent. But it can't make, make you a home. It can buy the medicine, but it can't give you health. It can help you execute things, but it can't give you vision. It can't inspire you. It can't set the direction of your life. In fact, it does the opposite because the love of money, as Scripture says, is the root of all evil. Money has its place, but it shouldn't have you. It shouldn't have our love and our devotion. It's an instrument. And the third point I want to make is the two other flags. We move on now to pride and arrogance. And I'm going to combine these two because they're related, right? These two red flags are always easier to spot on somebody else. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's easy to spot pride. It's easy to identify pride on somebody else. Because pride is an armor. And arrogance, a stool. Pride says, you can't get to me. Pride says, you can't affect me. There's nothing you can do. Because I'm great. I will not consider you. I will not be sensible to your words. That's what pride says. Arrogance says, I am better than you. Arrogance says, I look down on you. 
Arrogance says, I'm superior, you're inferior. That's what arrogance says. A proud person is not a teachable person. A proud person has little empathy for others. A proud person is not open for correction or healthy discipline. An arrogant person thinks that they deserve better simply for who they are. No merit. And there's a big difference between pride and arrogance and confidence. We must not mix the two. See, confidence says, I know who I am and I know where I belong. Arrogance says, I am all that matters. Here's a couple of scriptures on pride and arrogance. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty, that's another word for arrogance, a haughty spirit before a fall. Psalm 10, uh, verse 3 and 4 says, For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In pride uh, of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Because pride makes you the ultimate. Arrogance makes you the ultimate. You are all that matters. And here's how you can identify if there's pride in your life. I want to help you identify that. And it might be to different degrees, right? Listen, we all deal with pride. We all have to watch out for these red flags. And the the characteristics that I've been sharing is when pride is ruling. But all of us here, even if we keep pride at base, when we face a situation, when we get into a fight, when we have an altercation, when we're driving in traffic, there's that desire of pride to rise. So here's a question for you to answer. A few questions to identify. Help you identify if... There's pride in your life, and I'm going to start with the big one. Are you ever wrong? Are you quick to dismiss what others have said to you without giving them proper consideration? Do you have a hard time apologizing? Does constructive criticism upset you? When you talk to people, is it mostly about you or are you interested in them? Do you tend to look down on people based on their socioeconomic status? What they drive, the work they have, how much money they make. Who's the best person in your circle? And did you just say your name in your head? Now, how do you overcome these red flags of pride and arrogance? Very simply, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And you should underline that word humility. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Friends, the best way to overcome pride is to nurture humility. See, don't focus on being less prideful. I'm a, like a 10 in pride. I want to bring it down to a 5. That's manageable. You know? don't, don't do that. 
Focus on being humble. Focus on humility. What I love about this scripture is that you have to know the interests of others in order for you to, in order for you to look to them. You have to be interested in people, to respect people, to be interested in what they're interested in. That means you have to ask questions. Look to them, not just you. And here's an added benefit of humility. Humility helps you fight anxiety. Did you know that? It helps you fight anxiety. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Sometimes we carry all this weight because pride and arrogance says, I have to take care of my image. I have to manage the optics. I have to project a winning image. I have to show no weakness. And when, what the scripture is saying is, choose humility. Choose humility. Submit yourself under God's mighty hand. Cast your worries on Him. It's okay. For you to come into your presence, humility leads, and you're able to show, throw your anxiety and cast your anxiety on Him. And in that place, you will find peace. Brother David, if you are available, you can come now as we close. See, I believe God is calling each of us to let go of these images, to let go of these red flags, to let go of these idols. Because they can become idols in our lives. Ourselves can become an idol. Right? The love of self. We put ourselves first. Our love of money. Money can become an idol. A crippling idol. In our lives. Pride. Arrogance. This incessant need to be seen a certain way. To be perceived a certain way. To project a certain amount of success. To project a certain amount of status. God is calling us not only to let go of it, but to watch out for it and people around us. To avoid the influence of people who value these things. I've, said, I've shared this story here. I went to uh, apply for a job a long time ago when we had just moved here. And in the interview, the second question this guy asked after what is your name was, Hey, do you want money? And I was like, what? No, like, do you crave it? Do you crave money? Because in this job, you need to crave money. And I said, I mean, I think money is important. Is it important to? No, no, you're not understanding. Is there a pain in your gut every morning that tells you, you got to go get it. You got to go earn it. I was like, bro, I don't know what planet you live in, but I don't want to be like you. I don't want to be like, I don't want to live like that. Like with a pain in my gut every morning? To go get the Benjamins? No. No. There's a pain in the morning. I take Tylenol and I pray to the Lord. <laughs> I'm feeling a pain right now. <laughs> God has chosen us to be a light in the world. 
And because of that, he wants to free us from all these burdens. God wants you to be freed. It's freed from the snare of the enemy. Some of you, you've, you've, you've been wrestling with these things for years. Maybe you even grew up in church, but if you, if you pay attention to it, there's this, this grip in your heart of being a lover to self. Your relationship with God has been all about you. Your will. Your desire. Maybe you've been struggling in your faith because you desire to go to the next level, but you are unwilling to let go of your attachment to money, to possessions. You're hungry for possessions more than you're hungry for God. And your life shows it. Maybe you've embraced, embraced pride and arrogance because of insecurities or a certain unattainable goal that has been set before you that you should measure up to. And you mask it. You postulate it. It's performative because you were told to fake it till you make it. May today be a day of repentance for us. May today be a day when you turn away from these things. May today be a day where you, you can get freed and your heart is open to know God, to grow in Him, to become more like Christ. May today be the day where it's no longer about you. Ah, what a freedom to live when it's no longer about us. What a burden to live when it's always about us. But what a freedom is to live when it's about Christ. When life is about Christ in us. May today be the day where you submit all of your treasure, all of your expenses, all of your riches to the King of the universe. Or you may come into His presence. Some of you actually need to do this. You need to go and look at your, your list. You need to look at, at what you're spending money on and you need to say, does this honor God? Do these subscriptions, these payments, these contents that I'm paying for, these things that I'm buying, does this honor God? Does, does this contribute to God's will in my life? Does this contribute to my marriage? Does this contribute to my relationships. May today be the day you choose humility. You choose to look at another. Be interested in other people. Be interested in their needs. And may today be the day you release your worries and your concerns at Jesus' feet. You can come to His presence and say, Father, I cast all my anxieties on you because I no longer have to hold it all together on my own. I can trust you. Friends, I believe if we let go of these four red flags, we're going to experience a life with God that is freed from all of these, all of these weights that are trying to keep us from the life that God has called us to live. Do you receive it this morning? Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.